Father, sharper than any two-edged sword is the word of God, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Thank you that this book is about to be opened up. We do not want to be passive. We want to be expectant. Lord, we don't want to be dead. We want to be alive. We don't want to be blind. We want to see even more. We want to be lame. We, want to, we don't want to be lame. We want to leap. Leap with grace. Leap with truth. So, Father, we are here today because you have brought this to pass. And I ask that you would give our brother power from on high that is preaching as I know his heart is not to be in the power and demonstration, not, not in the words of human wisdom, but in the power and demonstration of the Spirit. Would that be his preaching? I pray that as I told him as we talked on the phone and then spoke this morning, that he would empty the bag of everything you've given him from this text, knowing it is for our good, because you're a good and gracious God, and you want to speak to us. So, Lord, we position ourselves to do just that. Have pity on us. Have mercy on us. Open our eyes. Unstop our ears. <laughs> Re-soften our hearts so that we can behold wondrous things out of your law. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, good morning, Restore Church. Good to see you all. Uh, as I was telling Mike and I was telling Tina, I think, um, I hate being away from my own church on Sunday morning, but Restore Church is one of the very few churches that I don't mind being away from my church for. I truly love this church, truly love your pastor, Mike and Cleet and, and the other pastors here, and um, just thank God for Restore Church being here in Detroit. And so uh, we're going to jump right into the word. The text has been read and the uh, prayer has been offered. And so we're going to jump right into the text here of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 through 35. And I want to preach to you on the subject today of the blessing of wisdom. The blessing of wisdom. First of all, I want to say something about, you know, I've been talking quite a bit in my church about the subject of happiness. You know, happiness is something that, that we all want. You know, and as Mike was just saying a little bit, one of the responsibilities of Christians is for us to be able to discern when we are allowing our thinking to be informed by Scripture or when we are allowing the culture to creep in and shape our thinking. And I think it is with reference to the subject of happiness that that is one place in which many of us as Christians are having our thinking diluted and perverted by the culture. The culture has a wrong view of what happiness is. It has a man-centered view of what happiness is. In the culture, happiness is a feeling that you get, a good feeling that you get when everything is going your way. When you are accomplishing your goals and you're achieving the things that you want and your life you, you have a certain amount of social and economic well-being. You get this good feeling of happiness. But brothers and sisters, that's not the biblical view of happiness. Happiness in the Bible is never associated with outward circumstances. It's never associated with 
the external things in life going your way. As a matter of fact, we're going to look at a text which talks about what Christian happiness is and, and really what is it that constitutes a Christian to be really happy. For example, the text before us today opens up with this, with this statement in Proverbs 3 and 13. It says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gains understanding. Now, what does this have to do with happiness? You know, in the Bible, this term blessed here, this word, it means to be fortunate. It means to be happy. And so here, when the, when the Bible talks about blessed is the man or blessed is the woman, blessed is the one, they're talking about happiness here. But it's a biblical happiness. If you go through the Bible, if you would look in your concordance and look at all the places where the term blessed is used, never does it say blessed is the one who have the $300,000 house. It never, says, it never says blessed is the one or happy is the one who has the perfect marriage and the perfect children. It never says happy is the one who has accomplished all of their, their, go their goals. But the blessed person is the hap and the happy person is always the one who has this certain relationship with God. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord. True blessedness, true happiness has to do with being in a right relationship with God and living one's life in conformity to God's will. Blessedness, happiness, it is, it, it is a favor that is bestowed upon us. It is a state of well-being spiritually and physically that stems from a life of obedience and right relationship with God. And in Proverbs, the writer is telling us here that we are truly happy, we are truly blessed, if among other things in association with God, if we have wisdom. Again, look at it. Blessed is the one or happy is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Now, before we can really unpack what's being talked about in this passage, because what he's showing us here in Proverbs 3 and beginning at verse 13, he is, he is showing us the value of wisdom. He makes this declaration, blessed is the one, happy is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gains understanding. And then he's going to go on to elaborate why the one who has wisdom is blessed or happy. He's going to outline for us the benefits that come to us from being wise and from having this wisdom. But first of all, in order for us to truly understand that, in order for us to truly grasp that, I think it's important for us to be clear about what is wisdom. And I'm sure Pastor Mike has touched on this, especially back in chapter 1, verse 7. But I think this subject is so important that it's, it's good for, for us to be reminded about this. Because, and I think it's important to say this, when you look at the book of Proverbs, one could make the mistake of seeing this book as a sort of secular book. If you notice in the book of Proverbs, it doesn't talk much about the covenant, God's covenant. It doesn't talk much about redemption. It doesn't talk much here about any of those religious, obviously religious themes and concepts that you see in the law and in the, 
the, the prophets and then the Psalms. It seems as though the writer here is focusing on just practical wisdom for everyday living. And it's, it can be tempting for one to see this as just a book full of practical wisdom, practical insight that even a, that a Christian or even a non-Christian can, can employ. Even the non-Christian can read the book of Proverbs and glean some, some good practical guidelines for how to live. After all, the, book, the word wisdom, if you look at the definition of the word wisdom, it means really skill. Wisdom really is skill in applying knowledge. You know, knowledge has to do with information. It has to do with teaching, instruction. And wisdom is the ability to apply that, that, uh, that teaching. And so here, one could think that, well, maybe here the book of Proverbs is just giving us some skillful information on how to be skillful in living a good life. But wisdom in the scriptures, brothers and sisters, is always a theological term. The Old Testament knows nothing of a secular idea of anything. In the scriptures, all of reality is connected to the knowledge of God. And when we look at the book of Proverbs, we see the same is true with wisdom and understanding. Wisdom has to do with the knowledge of God. Again, the passage that, uh, that, that uh, was brought up earlier, Proverbs 1 and 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now I want you to notice that. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Notice the connection there between knowledge and the fear of the Lord. In other places in scripture, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so the idea is there is a connection, brothers and sisters, between knowledge, wisdom, and the fear of God. He says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And you could take that in, in one of two ways. By saying that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the idea could be here that, that fearing God is the foundation and the first thing that we must know in order to be wise. Or as I believe what the, the idea here is that wisdom, or I'm sorry, the fear of the Lord is the primary and principal aspect of all knowledge. In other words, we don't know anything rightly if we don't know it through the filter of fearing and worshiping God. I don't care if you're talking about biology or chemistry or engineering or politics or economics or marriage in the family or any type of knowledge. If we don't see this knowledge through the fear of God, then we don't see it correctly. Notice a couple of other passages which points this out to us. The writer Solomon tells us here in Proverbs 9 and 10. Notice what he says in Proverbs 9 and 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. See, there it is again. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Notice that. There's a connection here between wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One. 
Here's where this idea of the fear of the Lord comes in at. When we know God as the Holy One, then the result is that we will fear Him. And the idea here is not that we'll be scared of God. Although we should have a little terror and a little holy dread about God. But the idea here is a reverential fear of God. It is a worshiping, a worshipful fear of God. In the Bible, when the Bible talks about fearing the Lord, that is the attitude out of which the worship of God flows. There is a connection between worshiping God and reverencing him and fearing him. The fear of the Lord that Solomon is talking about here is an attitude that, that apprehends the majesty and the holiness and the greatness of God. And therefore, the response is to re revere this God, to be in awe of this God, to love this God, and to be moved to worship, serve, and obey this God. And so the idea here, brothers and sisters, is that the, the primary and principal knowledge that should govern our view of all knowledge is knowledge of the Holy One, knowledge of God. We are to understand and have insight into the knowledge of God. And we know that our knowledge of God is correct when that knowledge moves us to fear and reverence, worship, serve, and obey this God. And the writer is telling us, this is wisdom. This is wisdom. Again, Proverbs 9 and 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So the fear of the Lord is synonymous with the knowledge of the Holy One. Proverbs 15, 33, the fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom and humility comes before honor. Again, notice it, the connection between the fear of God and instruction in wisdom. You know, brothers and sisters, you know, what does this say about the current environment in the modern American church where the, the concept of the fear of God seems to be diminishing more and more? Well, we don't talk much about the fear of the Lord. We think it's an Old Testament concept. And Jesus came, you know, the Old Testament God, he's this, this, this mean, terrible God who burns up cities and open up the ground and swallow people alive and stuff. But Jesus, he's a loving God. He's the compassionate, meek, you know, no more of this fear of the Lord stuff. I always find it interesting that in Isaiah 11, when it gives a prophecy of the Messiah, it gives a prophecy of the coming of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah and his kingdom. And one of the things it said about Jesus is that he would be filled with the spirit, and it mentions the spirit of power and the spirit of wisdom and all of this. And one of the things it says, what the spirit of the fear of the Lord will be upon him. And then a few verses down it says, his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. Jesus delights in the fear of the Lord. And if you still don't think this is a New Testament idea, just look at Hebrews chapter 12. 
towards the end of the chapter where the writer says, having a kingdom that cannot be moved or shaken, let us therefore have grace by which we might worship God with reverence and godly fear. But again, Proverbs is telling us that you can't fear God unless you have the knowledge of God and insight and understanding into the knowledge of God. And maybe that's why we see this idea of the fear of God diminishing in our church today, in the American church, because we don't talk and teach about the knowledge of God. We don't have the knowledge of the Holy One. And again, I think that stems back to this thing I talked about earlier, this wrong idea of happiness, whereby we think that the whole point and purpose to life is to be happy, to accomplish our goals and to do what we want and to be catered to and to have our needs met. Life is all about me being happy. And so God is not this awesome, majestic, holy being that I was created to know and to worship, but he's there to meet my needs and make me happy. But again, brothers and sisters, that's not the biblical concept here. And so the fear of God, and another term is the word piety. That's another word we don't talk about, we don't use nowadays. Piety or godliness. Godliness. Again, it means the fear of God, fear and reverence of God. We've, we're losing the sight of this, that, that a major part of the Christian life is the pursuing of godliness, the pursuing of piety, the pursuit of the fear of God. But we can't gain that without the knowledge of God. That, my brothers and sisters, is wisdom. This is what the writer is trying to get us to see, that we are to be pursuing and this is what makes us truly happy and blessed. When we have this knowledge of God and a knowledge of his ways, which leads us to fear him and obey him, then we are truly blessed. And so now he goes on to, to let us know exactly what is it that is so good about wisdom, this, this knowledge of God, which leads to the fear of God. What is it that makes it so such a blessing. But first of all, I want you to notice that this wisdom doesn't just come to us automatically. It must be sought after. Notice again what he says there in verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Notice he says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom. The idea is one who has searched for it, one who is seeking for it. He points that out in Proverbs chapter 2. I want you to hear what he says in Proverbs chapter 2 in verses 1 through 5. It says, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, watch this, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand, notice it, the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You see the connection? There it is again. 
He says, when you listen and be attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to it, when you call out for it and seek it, when you pursue this wisdom, when you pursue understanding, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. But notice the effort that, it, that is required here. We don't just grow in the knowledge of God by chilling out on the couch and flipping through our cell phones all day. We must pursue it. We must seek it. And so as he said, blessed is the one, happy is the one who finds wisdom. He's saying blessed is the one who pursues after wisdom, who seeks after it. There's a sense of urgency here. But again, notice also, brothers and sisters, as he begins to tell us what the benefits of this wisdom is. First of all, wisdom is better than any other thing that we can place a value on. It's better than any other thing that we can place a value on. Again, look at verse 14. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. You see that? Silver and gold is, is basically, in our modern day, would be considered lots of money, a big bank account, a big retirement fund, a big house, possessions, expensive things. Wisdom is better than those things. Why? Because true wisdom, again, is the knowledge of God. It is the knowledge of the fear of God. It is a life of worship, a life of obedience. Yes, obedience is a part of it. We'll see that in a minute. Again, wisdom is better than anything that uh, uh, anything that we can profit by. It is greater in value than all that the world has to offer. Look at verse 15. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire could compare with her. Again, brothers and sisters, showing you the superiority of the knowledge of God. Again, the world thinks that you can't be happy unless you have these possessions. The scripture is saying, if you have the knowledge of God, if you are a worshiper of God, if you understand God's word and truth and you have a heart to pursue God's word, then you're happy, you're blessed. You have no reason to be down in the dumps and with your head hanging down. If you know God, if you know his word, then you are blessed. And brothers and sisters, understand that all of this is pointing us to God's word. Notice what else it said in the scripture we just read in Proverbs 2, 1 through 6. He says that when you seek after wisdom and incline your heart to understanding, he says, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And look what else it says in verse 6 of Proverbs chapter 2. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So this knowledge and this understanding which leads to the fear of God, where does it come from? From God's mouth. 
from God's word. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 19, when David, the writer of the psalm, is extolling the law of God, and he says, for the precepts of the Lord are right, the statutes of the Lord are pure, and he's given all of these names and titles to the word of God, then he says, and the fear of the Lord is clean. He's calling the word of God the fear of the Lord. Why? Because it's in the word of, the God, of, the word of God that we learn to fear the Lord. But here's another benefit to wisdom. It promotes our spiritual as well as our social well-being. Look at verse 16 in chapter 3. It says, Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. There's that word again. When you live your life in conformity to God's word, when you make the fear of God the primary and principal and controlling aspect of your life, it will bring blessing upon you. Ultimately, those blessings are spiritual, but those blessings affect your natural life as well. Notice it. Long life, riches and honor. It's talking about wealth. You know, one of the reasons why this country is so blessed, and I know they want us to believe that the reason why America is so rich and so wealthy is because the Americans went around raping and pillaging and robbing everybody. But brothers and sisters, this country is blessed because of God's blessing upon this country. That doesn't mean that, that we ought to overlook the sins of our nation's history. But make no mistake about it. This country is blessed because it was founded upon a belief in a Christian worldview. This country was founded by people who believed this book. Especially when you go back to the Puritan fathers. They came to this country seeking a, a, a place where they can build a city that would be a city on a hill that would reflect biblical principles. And as a result, God greatly blessed this country. And it's the same thing in the lives of any person or any people who will honor God's truth and live their lives in conformity to the word of God. God will bless those who hearken to his truth. But ultimately, the ultimate blessing is the blessing of salvation. Notice what he mentions here when he says um, in verse 18, she is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. What does that make you think of when you hear that term, the tree of life? Remember what was in the Garden of Eden? The tree of life? And remember when Adam and Eve bit the forbidden fruit, when they ate the forbidden fruit, they were, put, they were separated and driven out of the garden and access to the tree of life was cut off from them. And how do we gain access again to that tree of life? In Jesus Christ. And so the wisdom of God leads us ultimately to the knowledge of Christ, which leads us to salvation. 
Another reason why wisdom is beneficial. Those who use wisdom and walk in wisdom are, in a sense, participating in that which is of God. Wisdom is of God. God himself does his works in wisdom. Again, notice that in verse 19. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. You get what he's saying here? Not only, he's saying wisdom is, is not just something that's good in a pragmatic sense. Wisdom is good because wisdom is of God. God himself is a God who uses wisdom in all of his works. And so when we walk in wisdom, we are walking in the same thing that God walks in. We are participating in the life of God when we use wisdom. The Old Testament is so beautiful, brothers and sisters. It's so beautiful to see the way that the Old Testament points us to Christ. Because I believe in this passage, he's pointing us also to Christ, which is the ultimate embodiment of God's wisdom. What is he referring to here in verse 19? He says, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. Throughout, the Bible tells us that God created the heavens and the earth by his wisdom and by his word. But then the New Testament tells us that it was by Christ that God made the heavens and the earth. And we know that the Bible tells us that Jesus is the wisdom and the word of God. For example, in Proverbs chapter 8 and in verse 22, it says, and again, notice how he is personifying wisdom here. In Proverbs 8.22, he's speaking of, again, God's own use of wisdom. And here, wisdom is speaking as the one who was with the Father during creation. Look at Proverbs 8.22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. This is wisdom being personified and saying, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. What, the beginning of what work? Genesis 1 and 1, the creation. Read that, the rest of that passage, but notice what it says down in verse 30, Proverbs 8.30. After he outlined how God was doing the work of creation on the six days of creation, it says, then I, this is wisdom talking again, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight rejoicing before him always. Wisdom is speaking here and saying, when God created the heavens and the earth, when God made the planets, when God made the grass and the, the beast of the field and he made man to dwell upon the earth, wisdom says, then I was beside him like a master workman. Doesn't all of this sound familiar, brothers and sisters? Listen again to John 1, 1 and 3. Or John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
Don't that sound like Proverbs 8.30? Then I was beside him. Beside who? God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Watch this. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Proverbs tells us that wisdom was with God in the beginning of his works. And here in John, it tells us that the word was with God in the beginning, in the beginning of his works, beside the Father and all of the works of creation. Notice it again in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 16. Colossians 1, 15 through 16, talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. You know what I think the scriptures is doing? And, and again, I'm not so sure that Solomon understood what he was saying here. He's probably just personifying wisdom. His, his intention here is probably simply just to, to kind of poetically personify the wisdom of God. But I think the Holy Spirit is using Solomon's words to point us to something else, to point us to the truth that God's wisdom reaches its apex in the Son, in the Son of God, who is the Word made flesh, who is the embodiment of God's wisdom. And so, brothers and sisters, what we see here is that if we really want to find the knowledge of God, and if we really want the wisdom of God that, that teaches us to fear God and teaches us to live the life pleasing to God, we must look ultimately to Jesus Christ, who is the living word and wisdom of God. But then he goes on, brothers and sisters, to give us an imperative to guard wisdom. Just like anything that is valuable must be guarded. Anything that is, that is valuable must be treasured and protected and not treated casually and carelessly. Again, notice what it says here in verse 21, Proverbs 3.21. My son, do not lose sight of these. Sight of what are the these? The wisdom and the understanding. Do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. That word keep, brothers and sisters, it means to guard. Just like Adam was told to keep the garden. He was to protect it. He was to watch over it. He was to guard it. The same thing with the knowledge of God. The knowledge of, of the fear of the Lord. The knowledge of how to live a life pleasing to God. We must not lose sight of this knowledge. And listen, when we are not proactive in treasuring scripture and memorizing scripture and seeking to grow in our understanding of it, we will lose it. We will lose sight of it. 
you never reach a point where you say, okay, I, I'm, I've graduated from the Bible. You know, I understand it all. I've, I've read Genesis from Revelation. Okay, I don't need this no more. You never reach that point. As a matter of fact, the more you dig deeper into Scripture, the more you realize how much of it you don't understand. And the, and the more you see how much you need to spend more time digging deeper and deeper and relying more and more upon the Spirit to teach and illuminate you, the more you realize you need to be taught. And so he says that we are to not lose sight of wisdom and understanding in God's word, but we are to keep sound wisdom. We are to guard it. And then again, he talks about or he shows us the benefits again, more of the benefits that derive to us from keeping and guarding and holding to the knowledge of God. But then also, he gives us instruction for applying this wisdom. So we've seen the benefits of receiving wisdom. We've heard the imperative to guard wisdom. But now, lastly, he gives us instruction for applying wisdom in verses 21 I'm sorry, in verses 27 through 35. Notice here the instruction that he gives us in applying wisdom, beginning at verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to do it. Now, what is this talking about? It's talking about justice. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. That's justice. Justice is giving to all their due. In the Bible, justice and righteousness are closely linked. What is he pointing us to? He's pointing us to the moral law, basically. The moral law, God's Ten Commandments, they teach us justice and righteousness. The idea here is that the knowledge of God not only teaches us how to fear and worship the true God, but it also teaches us how to live righteousness, how to walk justly in God's world. Again, look at it again in verse 28. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells strongly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Again, what is he talking about? He's fleshing out the law of God, which tells us to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Again, as I pointed out before, the book of Proverbs is not a secular book. All of these instructions are really applications of the law of God. Not only does the knowledge of God and the wisdom that leads to the fear of the Lord instruct us on how to live righteously, but it also instructs us how to hate wickedness and to hate what is evil. Look at verse 32 or verse 31. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. In other words, do not envy or, wanna, or imitate the wicked person, the violent person. Do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord. That's a strong word there. It speaks of a strong hatred. 
God hates the devious person. Look at verse 33. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Towards the scorner, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. And again, this is another thing that the scriptures teach us about the fear of the Lord. Another aspect of the fear of the Lord is to hate the things which God hates. Proverbs 8 and 13 says this, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. You see that? The other side of the coin, if, if the fear of the Lord has to do with worshiping God and living righteously and justly according to the law, then the flip side of that is hating everything that is contrary to God and to his law. We should hate the perversion of God's creation. We should hate everything that, that, that rises, its, rises up against the knowledge of God and his truth. We should hate everything that distorts God's creation. We should hate everything that defiles, everything that is sinful and wicked. We know that we fear the Lord when we hate evil. Again, in Job 28 and 28, and he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. You know that you understand the fear of God and you have the knowledge of the Holy One when you turn away from evil. But the last point I want to make is this, brothers and sisters. We just said here that we see when we look at the passage that ultimately we see that these things reach their apex and ultimate fulfillment in Christ. As the writer says that it was through wisdom that God does his works. And we know that Jesus is the wisdom of God and that the wisdom of God, John 1:14, became flesh and dwelt among us. But the New Testament writers tell us this too very clearly. I want you to notice something that Paul says in Colossians 2 and 3. And he says this about Jesus in Colossians 2 and 3. In whom, who is Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see what Paul is saying there? Paul is saying that Jesus is the treasure chest out of which all the treasures and benefits derive to us. These benefits, these blessings which make us truly happy, all of these benefits and blessings that, that God bestows upon the wise person, those benefits are found in Christ. He says Christ is the hidden treasure by where we find or wherein we find the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And what treasures are these? What treasures? Again, Paul laid, spells them out in Ephesians chapter 1 when he says that we are blessed 
with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. Or it's as if he could say, we are made happy with all of these benefits that come to us from the heavenlies. Where? In Christ, in whom are hidden all these treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And he goes on to spell them out in that first chapter of Ephesians. In Christ, we are adopted as sons and daughters to God. In Christ, we have redemption and our sins forgiven. In Christ, we have an inheritance. In Christ, we are sealed with the Spirit of God to the day of redemption. In Christ, the, the, the purpose and plan of God for all eternity has been made known to us. He lavishes upon us his grace. And all of this comes to us in Christ. And so my brothers and my sisters, if you want to be blessed, if you want to be truly happy, we must be wise. We must have the knowledge of God. We need the knowledge of God. We need the wisdom and understanding. But where do we find that wisdom? Where do we find that knowledge? We find it in the written word of Scripture, but we find it ultimately in the living word, Jesus Christ who is the apex and embodiment of God's wisdom. Father, we just thank you that you have given us of your own wisdom, that we might have understanding, that we might know you, the Holy One. Oh God, give us a sense of urgency that we might pursue this wisdom, knowing that it is better than silver and gold and any treasure that we can treasure on this earth. Lord God, would you help us to see ultimately that your wisdom is embodied in your precious son, our Lord Jesus Christ. May we pursue him and find all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We ask this in his name. Amen.